theme song, take one. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dirty Talk with Rain DeGray. Hi, everyone. So we got uh, an exciting thing we are looking forward to tonight. That's right. We're going to go see Eddie Izzard. Yeah. I am a huge fan of Eddie for a multitude of reasons. A, he is very smart, and I've always had a fetish for the intelligence. Yeah, you know I would that. say that you're very much a sapiosexual. Correct. And uh, in addition to him being funny as hell, a total smarty pants. I do have a weakness for people that are a bit fluid on the gender spectrum. And the oh, fact- he is definitely a bit Yeah, fluid. I love the cross-dressing and the nails and the outfits. And he did that entire special in heels, which let me tell you, is not easy to be walking and moving around in heels for as long as he was. He's willing to suffer for his craft. And I appreciate that. I could not comment on that because I've never been able to find a set of heels large enough to fit me. Perhaps uh, I would have to go into San Francisco, I'm sure. We could hook you up with some heels to fit you, and we could get that done in, in a couple hours, my dear. Do you want some heels? I can get you in some heels. Maybe for my next birthday. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> get me all excited. Well, the thing I like about him is that he is a hyper-polyglot. Yes. And he has an incredible ability to learn almost any language. Pick up a language, like, oh, I'm just going to, yep, done. And yep. then deliver. It's not just that, though. It's it's hard enough to pick up a language, but to right. pick up the subtleties of language to be right. able to do a stand-up comedy routine right. in that language for native speakers to actually enjoy it is something entirely different. When you think about it, like all of the stuff that we take for granted is English speakers, and it's like, oh yeah, sure, I'd hit that. If you were to translate that to like another, I'd, I'd hit that, what is that? Oh That's, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, when people, when, whenever you run into somebody yeah. that speaks a foreign language and they try to use common humor or concepts or like that's not my cup of tea and you're like what you don't like tea are you saying you like coffee i'm confused like it's not just knowing the language it's knowing all the subtleties and nuances remember when i found that uh that rap monster which you weren't into at all yeah he did rap monster south korean rapper yeah and he's and he's part of like a, a boy he was he's like the justin timberlake of his where he is true he was in a boy band and it was manufactured but he actually has a lot of innate raw talent and i saw a video and what someone had done is they translated what he was speaking into english but in the translation it was they were actually taking the time to not just translate it to english but all the subtleties that you wouldn't get just like south korean to english translation but it would be like what does it mean what are the 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 idioms and the what we would just take for granted. Oh, yeah, you definitely the, have to break it down because it's yeah. so culturally right. specific. Yeah. That unless you were immersed and raised in that culture, you wouldn't really. You would miss a lot of it. it. Right. But he has this insane ability to not only pick up the basics of the language, to just get all those cultural references and incorporate them into his act. I'm really looking forward to seeing him tonight. And I'm also taking you and your dad out on a date. You are. That's right. You're such a romantic. A belated Christmas present to the two of you. Mm. I'm I'm looking forward to it because Eddie hits a lot of checkboxes for me. He's smart, he's funny, and he rocks the fuck out of a dress. Oh, yeah. And you know, there's no more of an aphrodisiac than taking a woman and her septuagenarian father out on the town. <laughs> I'm hoping to get some tonight. <laughs> Play your cards right and you will. Are mm-hmm. we talking about your dad or you? Uh, are, are you now disclosing a desire for my dad? I mean, I wouldn't get in your way. That would make Thanksgiving a little odd, though, wouldn't it? It would. And honestly, sorry to say your dad's not really my type. Well, he's a dude, for one. And last I checked, men in their 70s aren't high on your boner meter. No, 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 no. I usually go for the younger gents, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I do enjoy your father. He's a nice guy. and uh, He really likes you. It's strange that I've known him now since I was about 16. Mm-hmm. Out of any guy I've ever hung out with, my father's always liked you the best. Yeah. 
He told me you were a high quality one. He's quite I fond of you. I guess he was right. That it just took you a few years to come around. A few. <clears throat> well, you know, if anyone were to be able to land my dad, I guess it would be you because he genuinely likes you. He does. You've got a chance. And, yeah. You know, your dad and I have a lot in common because we really don't like anybody else <laughs> except for you, I guess. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you guys have good taste. I suppose we do. <laughs> so uh, what else is going on in your world right now? Uh, I've been really busy, actually. The, I mean, these podcasts have been really fun to do. The advice columns are, we're at almost a year now of the advice column, right? I mean, we've been at it for a while. It's really been picking up traction. I just got a whole bunch of classes booked, which I'm excited about. And um, two different events have invited me out. So later on uh, this year, I'm going to be doing... Two fairly big events, um, one outside of California, so traveling is always interesting, but I'm really looking forward to the educating. I'm really looking forward to meeting more fellow perverts and spreading knowledge and education because that's my bag. Yeah. I always think it's interesting to see you travel because you you travel like a little rat. You have all your little food stuffs packed away because <laughs> there's very few things that you actually like to eat, and so you'll bring... Most of your food yeah. along with you. Unless the place you're going to happens to have mac and cheese <laughs> or grilled cheese sandwiches. Well, my belief as someone who's a bit of a survivalist is that it's always best to have a bunch of stuff on you just in case the car breaks down, the zo zombie apocalypse breaks out, you know, pandemic. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, except for me. I'm prepared because I have a whole bunch of food stored in my purse, my giant-ass purse that gives me back problems because I, I carry- I would say you're not necessarily prepared for the Spanish Inquisition because you are a bit of a heretic. Ooh, yeah, I'd probably be high on their list. They wouldn't like all the nun stuff I've done. No, mm. the nun stuff and the uh, open sexuality, I think, mm. would be a big no-no. I did skull fuck a porn star dressed as a schoolgirl- and I used my massive strap-on cock to shove communion wafers into her mouth hole and the Bible, pieces of the Bible into her pussy. Yeah, I think the Grand Inquisitor might have issue with that. <sighs> so close-minded. Oh, well. But so, well, great. You have lots of great events coming up. Yeah, yeah. And you're getting mm -hmm. some great questions. I have been. A lot of people have been reaching out to me on a whole bunch of, uh, I'm, of course, I'm all over social media, I encourage you, if you do have a question, to go to raindegray.com and go to the contact part of my website and send me a question there. People send me questions on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and those are all valid ways to reach me, but the most effective way to shoot me a question is via my website at raindegray.com. I think it's time to do some news bits. News bits, yes. From around the world to your living room, this is Newsbits. So the news item I have today is a little bit more serious than some of the stuff that I have talked about in the past, but I think it's something important that is going to be a big issue going forward. And... I'm frankly surprised that there hasn't been more coverage in the news of what's going on in Cape Town, South Africa. So I know I've talked to you a little bit about the situation down there. You have. It's definitely been something that you've been focusing on lately. Yeah. Well, so for those of you that don't know about it and haven't been following the news on this, uh, Cape Town is one of the first major world cities that is getting close to running out of water. And they have actually been establishing this day zero where they're going to be turning off the water to the taps in the city. So on a specific day, if they don't get any more rainfall, they're actually going to be turning off the taps and then everybody will have to go to a specified water site and they can collect their ration of water for the day. So originally this day zero was planned for sometime at the end of April, but thankfully People have been taking it seriously enough that but they... Not with the news articles I was reading. They have like a what, 53 to 58% compliance of people, citizens that are maintaining their daily water quota, 
which means almost half the people are even with all of this are still going over yeah, on yeah. a daily basis. But, but the article I just read uh, today, they've actually been able to push day zero back to July 9th. Originally, it was going to be the end of April, but as it's getting closer, I guess more and more people have been taking it seriously and they've been cutting down on their water usage. And so they're actually... It's, but it's discouraging it that it had to get that close to, to, for, to even get people's attention. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know living in California, drought has been a huge issue for us. And every time they announce a drought, I Nobody takes it seriously. You look usage. and you, you see outside and like people are still watering their lawns. Oh, yeah. Well, especially Southern California. Oh, my God. I They're stealing all our water. They are. The Southern California, look, Southern California. I've been to LA on multiple occasions, and we had such a bad drought up here that I was taking a five-gallon Home Depot bucket and saving all of my water from heating up my shower and using it to water plants. Flush the toilet. Using it to flush the toilet, like using it to wash my hands. Yeah, I let my lawn die. Yeah, I was not my, washing my car. Yeah, lawn totally dead. My toilet would, you know, you would let it mellow for a while. Oh, yeah. And you go down to LA and it would be deep emerald green chunks of carefully maintained lawn that were so well watered that a mist was hanging over it. I'm like, this is... This is where all my water's going. All the times I'm not flushing the toilet is my water's being shipped down to LA so that you guys can have emerald green lawns in the middle of a desert. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because uh, so many people don't take it seriously. They, they hear the drought, but there's still water coming out of the tap. So it's not a big deal. But this is going to be coming a bigger and bigger right. issue right. as time goes forward. And, and it's scary to think that a major city like Cape Town, if you look at pictures of Cape Town, it's a major city. The skyscrapers, mm-hmm. it looks like a modern metropolitan city. Sure. It's not some backwater location. Right. But they're getting to the point where the reservoirs are about 13% mm-hmm. full, and they're going to have to shut the water off to the population mm-hmm. if nothing changes. And one of the only ways they've actually been able to conserve enough water is by limiting the amount of water used in agriculture. So they're having yeah. to make this choice between having water to drink and having water to grow food with. So it's it's a terrible decision either way. And what most people don't realize is that a lot of the water we use actually goes into the food we eat. About mm-hmm. I've, I've read estimates that about two-thirds of our water use mm-hmm. is actually indirectly through the food that we eat. And it's kind of surprising as the amount of water that actually goes in to the foods that we eat. To, to growing the food. And then when we get the food, I'm certainly in America, we're guilty of huge amounts of food waste. Oh, yeah. Well, worldwide, it's estimated that about 50% of all the food produced worldwide actually goes to waste. And well, so, as we run out of water, that's going to shift. Hopefully, hopefully so. <laughs> Do you know what the food item that requires the most water to produce is? No, pray tell. Chocolate. <gasps> I know. No. Yeah. Not chocolate. I have found estimates that to produce uh, one kilo of chocolate takes 24,000 liters of water. Holy shit. How much water have you used in your chocolate consumption? Uh, Swimming pools full. Swimming pools full of water just to have that Mm -hmm. chocolate bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The other one I was really surprised about was almonds. Do you know how much water it takes for one, one single almond? I know that almonds take a lot of water, so how much? One gallon of water. For a single almond. For a single almond. That's insane. And the thing is, is that a majority of the almonds do come from California's Central Valley, and we are in a drought, so I don't know what's going to happen to the almond industry if it continues, because they are so water dependent. My whole point on pointing all this stuff out is that this is going to be a major issue going forward. I know it's not the sexiest issue to be talking about, but I think it's an important one, and it's a worldwide issue. Correct. Look into this, follow your water usage, Mm -hmm. and reduce where you can. I remember when I watched Tank Girl, and what was the main premise of Tank Girl was the water wars. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mad Max. It's like we've we've run out of water, and it's not like we haven't seen this coming for decades. Well, one of the things I found was interesting is that movie that came out uh, a year or so ago, The Big Short, at the very end of it, Michael Burry, the guy that noticed the huge financial crash in the market- Mm-hmm. At the very end, they had a one line saying that his main focus for investing now is water. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a major issue more and more oh, going yeah. forward in the next decade, I would say. Oh, yeah. 
without a doubt, we're putting way more humans on the planet at the same time that our resources are shrinking. Yeah. That, uh, you know, it's going to be... There's an ancient Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. And boy, do we live in interesting times. Yeah, we do. So that is my moment of sincerity. And let's get back to the sexy times, shall we? Yay, sexy time! So what do you got for us? My topic is a little bit more focused on sexuality unless that we're all doomed and running out of water. Uh, however, it is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart as a strong and independent woman who is uh, fiercely determined to help other women become comfortable with their sexuality. So one of the uh, stigmas that women that are comfortable with their sexuality have to uh, struggle under is the societal concept that if you are a woman who's comfortable and confident with her sexuality, it must make you a giant diseased slut bag. Our society is not comfortable with women being comfortable with their sexuality. And what I'm very excited about, because this has scientific proof for what I've always believed in, a recent study that came out from the uh, Vanderbilt University, which is actually a very thorough study that took place over several years at 22 different colleges with a really large data pool, proved, which I knew all along, that young women who value their own desires as much as their partners are less likely to engage in unwanted sexual activity. So the concept that women that are comfortable with their sexuality is like, oh, well, they're giant slut bags. It's actually been proven that is the exact opposite is that the less comfortable a woman is with her sexuality, the more she views sex as something she does to please a man, and that her own desires do not count as much as her partner's desires. They have lowered ability to discuss condom usage, increased risk of sexual victimization, and negative mental well-being. So parents, if you're uncomfortable talking about sexy time with your children, with your daughters and are just hoping that you keep them innocent and pure, everything will be fine. You're actually doing them a vast disservice. The more that you stress with your children, with your female children, that being confident and comfortable with your sexual desires is a positive thing, the greater mental well-being they have, the easier it is for them to be able to engage in safe sex, and the lower risk they have of sexual victimization. Those are all really important things I think that parents should care about. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's a good thing to teach confidence in your children in general. More mm -hmm. confident, mm -hmm. more well-rounded people do better in life. All across the board. Unfortunately, things like sex crimes, a lot of it, a lot of times, doesn't actually have to do with the sexual act itself. It has to do with a feeling of inadequacy, wanting to dominate Mm -hmm. Things like that. And you can tell people when they're walking down the street you by their body language mm -hmm. how confident and how mm -hmm. secure they are. And if I'm not saying it's foolproof way mm -hmm. to avoid getting harassed, because I know you've been harassed mm -hmm. on numerous occasions and you actually present yourself as very strong and mm -hmm. confident. Um, but think about how much more harassment I would have experienced if I had not been as strong and confident as oh, I am. Definitely. Yeah, right. but, but people that engage in those sort of things will avoid somebody that looks like they would fight back right. and would defend themselves. Right. They're, they're looking for the low-hanging fruit. Right. I am definitely not low-hanging fruit. Yeah. So the more you can teach your kids to own their awesome, mm -hmm. the better it is. And I mm -hmm. think that women should own their sexuality and not be ashamed of it. And that for so long, for some reason, our society has told women and people in general that sexual pleasure is something to be ashamed of. And, and, and scientific studies have proven that that is the exact opposite. And the more confident and comfortable you are with your sexuality, 
the more well-rounded of a person you are, the happier you are. Yeah. Like being comfortable with your sexuality makes you a happier person. And isn't that what we want to be is to be happy? Like here is a tool that will make you happier. I think that's what everybody is ultimately striving for because mm -hmm. we are all stuck on this floating rock (laughs) through the vast empty void of space looking for our small islands of pleasure and and oceans of shit. (laughs) That is a true fact, my friend. Sounds like you've attended one of my classes. Uh, is that a direct quote? That is a direct quote. I, I, I understand that some people might come to my classes and be like, an ocean of shit? That's, um, but yes, that is a direct quote from one of my classes. We are battling an ocean of feces, and we are looking for those small islands of magic and pleasure to be found amongst the ocean of feces. And for me, confidence, communication, sexuality, and owning your awesome are those islands of magic. Yeah. So own it. It'll make you a better person and you will hopefully enjoy your sex life even more. That's a fact. Like what I'm doing? Believe in me? Want to see more of it? This is just a quick reminder that the best way to do that is to become a Patreon supporter. Artists like me that are trying to create content for people to enjoy cannot do it without the support of believers like you. If you believe in me, please go to Patreon for Rain de Grey and become a Patreon supporter. Not only will you get a whole bunch of cool rewards and personalized thank you packages, but you're voting with your dollar and allowing me to keep doing the things I'm passionate about. So while we do like to have listeners call in and ask questions, today we actually elected to do a specific topic that you and me have been talking about and focusing a lot. It's been something that's been on our minds. And I know Mm -hmm. we talked about it a couple episodes back with children entering puberty earlier on and the need to educate them sexually at Mm -hmm. an earlier age. And it's a difficult topic. Mm -hmm. Myself as a parent with a young daughter, Mm -hmm. things come up and it's interesting to talk about those. It's it's tricky. I mean, no parent really wants to discuss sexuality with their children. I mean, the odds are high that your child's going to end up having sex. And for, I mean, we were born in America, so we have an American view of it. And certainly the feedback I get is that in other cultures and societies, they don't have quite so many hangups. America was founded by Puritans, and we bring so much deep inherited generation after generation baggage when it comes to sexuality. And it is honestly not doing our children any favors at all. In fact, it's doing them a significant disservice. We are not able to quite track why, and there's some theories, but our children are entering puberty at an earlier and earlier age. We are so uncomfortable with sexuality that we are not discussing sexuality with our children. We're holding back on sex ed. And where are children going to get information about sex? Yeah. Well, lo and behold, guess what? They have the internet. So we love the questions that have been coming in, but we did decide that we wanted to focus on this topic today. If you do want to call in and give a question for a future episode, please do. What's that number? The number to call in is 614-733-4739. Again, that is 614-733-4739, also known as 614-R-DeGray. So the way that this topic has been kind of coming to our attention is we keep seeing it places. I know Mm -hmm. Radiolab... Big shout out. Mm, we love Radio Lab. Hi, Radio Lab. Big shout out. If there's any other podcast you want to listen to besides ours, because go. ours is awesome, but yes. Radio Lab is also pretty awesome. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Actually, go listen to Radio Lab first and then listen to our <laughs> podcast. I can't say enough good things. And I finally became a supporter because I believe in what they're doing so much. They are currently asking for stories from people about how they learned about sex and reproduction Mm -hmm. and their sex ed, the talks they had with their parents, 
there was also an article I came across in the New York Times mm-hmm. about how in Boston they have a porn literacy class for teenagers. And the full title of the class is The Truth About Pornography, a pornography literacy curriculum for high school students designed to reduce sexual and dating violence. So it's great that they're putting this out there for the kids in Boston, and it's actually being paid for by the city's public health agency. And so we just thought it would be an interesting topic because more and more kids are getting Getting their sex ed from porn. Yeah. The parents aren't comfortable talking about it. Schools don't want to talk about it. Everyone's up in arms. Well, in some states, there's actually, I think, laws against teaching sex ed in school. Mm -hmm. And so- And those states that have those laws have the highest rates of teen pregnancy and STIs. Yeah. Well, no doubt, because where else are you going to find this information? You can find it online, but the thing that comes up most when you Google sex, you're going to find porn. Mm-hmm. And kids don't realize that a lot of the stuff that they're seeing in the porn is not realistic. Those people are actors. They're actors doing stunts with careful lighting. It's been choreographed. Everything's been negotiated. All the awkward stuff is edited out. Like you're looking at unrealistic. It's like if you were to think that you could know anything about gun violence by watching a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Every hero gets shot in the shoulder. The bullet grazes him a little bit. It's a slight wound. And within 20 minutes, he's better. Yeah, and nobody goes out after watching a Die Hard film thinking that they're going to do that or that's expected of them. But unfortunately, people go out after watching a porn Mm -hmm. and they think that they are going to have to maintain rock hard wood Mm -hmm. for extended periods of time. doing Five hours of being able to do a chin up on a dick hard enough that it can batter down a door. Yeah, and and doing crazy acrobatic positions that most people aren't going to attempt ever. And a lot of the angles that they use in porn, they have to use those angles in order to get the camera in there because you got a guy that's two inches away from your junk and they want to get the best possible shot. So... The angles they're using are only there to be able to get a camera up inside. Right, right. It's completely unrealistic for day to day. Yeah. And if that's your template for how you think sexuality is going to be, you're, I mean, you're fucked, my friend. It's, it is unrealistic and it, it causes pressure. It makes both boys and girls feel discouraged. They, they can't hold up to these sexual stunt people and then they go home to their own houses and try and do it. And they're like, wait, but this isn't, no, that. What? Yeah. And also a majority of the porn that's out there is fairly derogatory towards the women. Yes. Yes. Which is interesting that you would bring that up because even though things are changing and more women are getting comfortable with their sexuality, the main consumer of porn is still men. Yep. Young men. And consumers vote with their dollar. So what does it say about our culture and society that the porn that the consumers want to watch and are voting with their dollar to see is stuff that's derogatory towards women. Yeah. I mean, some people would say that the stuff that you partook in might be derogatory, but I would say that's more empowering. You were going through a journey, you were getting tied up, and you were getting beaten. So what do you think that young men that would come across that might take away? You know, I mean, that's an interesting question, and I've been asked it before. And I have to tell you, as someone who specializes in uh, kinky and fetish and fairly hardcore BDSM porn, I was not ever a vanilla, like, cheerful, well-lit gangbang in a plush, you know, LA setting with nice, comfy couches. That wasn't my bag, because I was specifically doing activities and things that turned me on. One of the moral guidelines I gave myself when I entered the industry is to never do a shoot that I wasn't willing to do for free off camera. I refused to do something just for the money. And the truth is that just random penis and vagina porn didn't do that much for me. Yeah, it it is a quandary that I have to acknowledge that not 100% of the men that chose to watch my porn where I am tied up and getting violently beaten had the healthiest relationship towards women. And I'll let you know, as a strong and fierce feminist, I always did struggle with that. I did. However, I was doing things that I really, really wanted, no, needed to do. And 
It's like when filmmakers are accused of inciting violence and they do uh, look how much shit, you know, Oliver Stone got over uh, natural born killers. You know, it's just kind of like serial killers. Yeah, glorifying serial killers. And it's like, you know, as, as a feminist, I have always struggled with the fact that probably not every man that watched my work had a healthy attitude or relationship towards women. I was aware of that and it's been an issue for me, but I couldn't stop doing something that was important to me that I needed to do for my own journey. And all I can hope is that the men that didn't like women that chose to watch my stuff would hopefully have that as a cathartic release and not do that on non-consenting women. Because the thing is, everything I did was 150% consensual and negotiated down to every word and movement. So what makes the stuff I do not abuse is consent. If you were to do that non-consensually to someone, that's where you go into abuse. Unfortunately, one of the things people don't see when they're looking at the porn is when they're watching the finished edited version of it, they don't see all the time that goes into setting everything up. The the interview that takes place beforehand where you well, lay here's out- Here's the thing is that the interview is in the beginning and the end. There's an entering interview and there's an exit interview. And- the people that are going to watch porn for unhealthy reasons, they fast forward through the entrance and the exit. They don't give a shit about someone just standing there talking. So companies very specifically make a point of going over the limits, going over their consent, talking about it. It's all there. Yeah. It's discussed. It's just that the people aren't going to bother watching the entrance and exit interviews. Oh, yeah. And, and you are basically the star. Everything that is happening to you is something that you have negotiated before. Correct. You have set your limits. If you have a limit... Yes. They respect that. They will not go past that limit. If a limit is accidentally violated, filming stops immediately. You, and you are com- in complete power at all oh, times. Yes. You can call it off at any time. You are actually the most powerful person, person in that room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's consenting to be there. You're the one saying, no, I'm not comfortable with this. Stop. And they comply immediately. Right. So it, it's not violence towards you. It's violence for you, I would say. <laughs> True. Yeah. Right? You yeah. Uh, you want that experience, and they're providing that experience Correct. with you. Yeah. And it's the same thing in vanilla porn. the mm-hmm. The woman is the star there. If there's something the woman does not want done to her, they respect that, and mm-hmm. they will stop. Right. I know in a lot of porn, it's sexy to call women sluts and bitches mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that, but they have consented to that. Every word that they say is consented beforehand, and if a woman has a word that she doesn't want to used on her. You go through that in the intake interview. Yeah. It's like, you can call me a slut, but you can't call me a dumb slut. You know, you can you can call me a stupid bitch, but you can't call me a whore. Like, it's negotiated down to every detail of what the word is. Yeah. And I think it's healthy in your everyday relationships mm-hmm. to negotiate that as well. Before oh, you yeah. go into a bedroom scene, what can you talk about? What's off limits? Mm-hmm. What are What am I comfortable with? I think it just as important, that should all be negotiated beforehand. So it's unfortunate that kids are getting their sex education through porn and they don't see this other side of it. And that's why I'm glad that there's these programs mm-hmm. for porn literacy to, to teach younger kids that this is, this is not reality. Right. It isn't. It, it isn't reality. It is, it is a... a carefully manufactured fantasy. And I'm glad these programs are happening. At the same time, parents, you have a personal responsibility if you have a child to discuss sexuality. You are doing them no favors by withholding that information. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It's squicky. It's awkward. You want to, you don't want to do it. They're going to seek out the information. And if you don't do it, if you aren't part of that, then you're having them go online behind your back and seeing fantasy and thinking that's reality. You're doing your children such a disservice. If there was one wish that I could possibly have other than ending all of this horrifying school violence that we're having is that America could get the fuck over its Puritan background and stop being so hung up about sex. Uh, As a parent, I know it's uncomfortable. I had a situation that happened just the other day. You were in the car with me, with mm-hmm. my daughter, and we were mm-hmm. driving down the freeway, and there was a billboard. Huge billboard. Huge billboard that said, paying for sex with a child is child abuse. 
And of course, my daughter saw this and automatically asked, like, Dada? Why, why would anybody adopt a child just to have sex with them? And I was taken back because she has no real concept of sex yet. So in her mind, paying for sex with a child is, I guess, adopting the child. And she asked me, what would you do if you found out somebody in our neighborhood adopted a child to have sex with it? And of course, my answer would notify the authorities immediately. But it comes up all the time. Kids kids are little sponges. They soak up everything everything that they see and hear around them and they try to make sense about it. And if they don't have you to talk to about them and if you're uncomfortable about it, then... They're, they're going to pick up on that. One of the ways I learned about what was appropriate, what wasn't, was by looking at the adult's reaction when I had questions about mm-hmm. certain things. You could tell, oh, wow, that's a really naughty subject because the adults would go pale. They and freeze they would a little bit, uncomfortable stumble, like, get a little awkward. Yeah, that's definitely something I got to follow up on later. Right. Right. But my other thought on this billboard was who is their target market for this billboard? Who is these people that are out there that are comfortable for paying for sex with a minor, but draw the line at child abuse. Like, oh, you've raised my awareness to the point, like, I didn't realize I was abusing this child. I just was... I'm a pedophile and I pay to have sex with children. Oh my God, I saw this billboard. You've opened my eyes. I had no idea that what I was doing was abusing a child. I don't want to be a child abuser. I think that the money spent on that billboard probably was missing their target market. If you're going to pay to have sex with a kid, I don't think the billboard's really going to change your mind. Yeah. So our point is get more comfortable with your sexuality. Mm -hmm. As we've talked about earlier on in this episode, it leads to a better sex life. Also, get more comfortable about talking to your kids about their sexuality Mm -hmm. because it'll only help them and they won't have to go online and try and sort through all the stuff on Pornhub to figure out what adult relationships are all about. And believe me, you're not going to get a really viable concept of what adult relationships are like by sorting through Pornhub. No, definitely not. First off, you shouldn't be on Pornhub in the first place because it's nothing but pirated and stolen material. Support your local porn artist. If you're on Pornhub watching porn, you're helping the industry die. The industry is having a huge issue with piracy because everyone wants entertainment and no one wants to pay for it. So by all means, keep surfing for free stolen porn on Pornhub and watch the porn industry vanish. I think that could be an entirely different episode. That is an entirely different episode. It's one I feel industry. very strongly about having been having spent as many years as I have in this industry and seeing how much piracy is affecting it. New topic. Yes. Next episode, piracy. But I doubt all these teenage boys are out there ethically paying for all the no. porn they are consuming to learn about what <laughs> sex is. There are a multitude of issues here, yeah. Yeah. So we thought it would be interesting coming up in the next segment. We are actually going to be talking about how we learned about sexuality when we were kids and the things that influenced us mm-hmm. growing up. Because mm-hmm. sometimes our parents talk to us, sometimes we just got it from the media ourselves. I am just doing a quick reminder of all the various ways that you can keep track of me and my doings. I am plastered all over the internet. I can be found at my website, raindegray.com. I can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, FetLife, and Instagram, all as raindegray. If you liked what you've seen or heard and you would like to check out more, Don't forget to look me up on any of those various platforms. Shoot me a message. Send me a like. Spread the love. So, Boo? (laughs) Yes, Danny? uh, What were your earliest memories about learning about sexuality and how did you find your way into being a sexual person? Well, I think that probably a benefit that I had is that I was certainly raised by parents that gave two shits about societal norms. And were very comfortable with having open and honest discussions. And by the age of five, my mother had gone to some uh, toy trade show and she had found a manufacturer that was doing sexually, uh, atomically correct boy and girl dolls. So for most kids, like parents are so hung up about sex. If I mean, what's the first thing that kids do when they get a doll? They pull the pants down, they lift up the dress, they check out the underwear. Come on. Like, that's what kids do. And for 
by far and away, most of these toys, both boys and girls, the dolls have a very smooth, polished, non-threatening crotch. My mother's like, that's not going to do my kids any favors whatsoever. And she got atomically correct dolls so that we could discuss what's the difference between a boy and a girl. Like, what's going on down there? It's not just a smooth piece of plastic. I was raised by hippies, and there was certainly a lot of nudity that I saw. My parents were comfortable being nude, not inappropriate, but it wasn't like the body was something to be ashamed of. So by five, I had a working idea of what sex looked like. Uh, there was always a copy of uh, Our Bodies, Ourselves around. I certainly did uh, a lot of reading and research on my own. I was always really into reading. I grew up with no television, and there wasn't internet around when I was a kid. So I did a lot of reading fostered by the fact that there were comfortable discussions of sexuality and what that entailed in my household without any um, baggage of sex being shameful or sinful or something not to be discussed. I was always into sex. I'm a very sexual person. By 14, I had my first vibrator. You stumble across porn stashes and you would find magazines. And I remember I have no idea. I think it was my father was doing a remodel on the house and the guy had moved out. And when he'd moved out, he'd had a huge porn collection. My dad's like, well, we're going to have to like carry this all down to the trash. And my dad was attempting to do most of the carrying of the magazines, but I certainly saw a cover of a magazine or two. And at 14, I zeroed in on it. I'm like, oh, that, that, I want some of those. And yeah. waited, waited till my dad's back was turned. had my backpack, shuffled some of the magazines uh, into my backpack, the ones that looked the most interesting, saw all the ads in the back, and saw that you could uh, order um, a massage device. So at 14, I mail-ordered away for my first vibrator that I'd found in the back of an abandoned porn magazine. And it was this horrible red piece of plastic. I've since upgraded. I know a lot more about vibrators now. But it was I, ostensibly supposed to be used for your back. My back, yeah. I don't worry. You don't think it would have been a very effective back massager, but that's what they were selling it as. But I'm 14, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, mm-hmm, I know how that works. And uh, scraped together my money. I certainly didn't have a checking account. I'm 14. I like to just sent cash in an envelope to some place in New Jersey, and they sent me back this little red pocket-sized vibrator that I then started using to uh, have a lot of orgasms because I like feeling good. Well, I know mail order, I guess, was a large part of your sexuality for a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. You ordered some Tijuana Bibles. I did in the mail as well. Not not Tijuana Bibles. Um, I ordered a, a, a graphic erotic graphic art, dirty comics. Yeah, that also happened when I was fourteen. I mean, being raised uh, off the grid by parents that had dropped out of the system, mail order was the best that I could do. And I remember finding a a pamphlet. I have no idea how I got it, and like it was, hey, send away for three free uh, graphic art comics and after that if you like it you can keep purchasing and i randomly selected three and at 14 is when i first discovered my fascination of a female presenting person that happened to have a dick because i was like wow that's very versatile you can do a lot as a woman that has the bonus of having a dick i was fascinated by that first came across that when i was 14 and look at me now <laughs> And now you're trying to fulfill that fantasy. Oh yeah, with your strap-on work. Oh yeah, without a doubt, I am. I am living proof. If I had checked off another box in that mag, that catalog that offered you three free magazines, if something else had been sent to me, who knows where my sexuality would end up? But children's sexuality is very malleable. Um, I am a big fan of Robert Crumb, and one of my favorite anecdotes from Crumb was an interviewer asking him about why he always draws thick-thighed women wearing knee-high boots. And his explanation was it was winter and his aunt was visiting his mother and she'd put her winter boots in the closet and he was five years old, hiding in the closet, playing with the boots, riding them like a hobby horse, pretending it was a horse and he got his first boner at five, basically dry-humping his aunt's boots. And the connection was made in his malleable five-year-old brain. Knee-high boots, sexuality. He's had that for his entire life. So who knows if I had ordered something else that when I ordered for that for that dirty comic, I had no idea that the the surprise reveal is that 
one of the the three people in it is a woman who's a pre-op transsexual. So you just think that happenstance made it that you received that comic and that led your life down this other path where you're completely interested in TSs and that got you interested in strap-on play? I Yeah, I do. Now, I don't have any scientific proof one way or the other, but I do believe that what children's brains are so soft and malleable that the thing that makes the connection... I once had a man contact me and... His fetish was moccasins. And any porn he watched, he'd be like, but why aren't the women in moccasins? Any sort of photo of like a hot, provocative woman writhing around in lingerie, why isn't she in moccasins? And this might come across as a surprise to you, but as it turns out, there's not a lot of moccasin porn and moccasin pinup art. So he was reduced to contacting models, sending them moccasins and paying them to wear the moccasins and then send them photos because it was so hard for him to get his fetish met. And as far as I can tell, I'm theorizing he was probably a young kid watching a TV show. There was some sort of Western. There was like a hot, like, you know, Indian woman that like came across the screen. He had his first sexuality and there happened to be like a close-up shot of her wearing moccasins. And that's what imprinted in his brain. Who knows? Like, would I have been as interested in strap on play if I hadn't checked that box? I don't know. But maybe, probably not. Do you remember the first time you saw video pornography? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, th- you're probably going to have a hard time believing this, but I really didn't watch a huge amount of porn before I got into it. I'm practically Amish. I'm not very technically inclined. I grew up with no TV. I haven't watched a lot of movies until, you know, I found the joys of tablets. I didn't really hang out on the internet. I didn't really watch porn. I just got into porn because it was a journey I was really curious about, but I was doing it as a a fetish thing and as a a personal experience. So yeah, I mean, there weren't any porn at my parents' house. There wasn't any porn with anyone I knew. We didn't have any television. Like when I got older and lived on my own, like I think I would see like like a DVD case so I could see the outside of what a porn looked like. But I don't think before I became kinky, I ever sat down and watched a porn. So even when you were a teenager, you never watched? I had no access. Mm-hmm. No. Uh-uh. No. Yeah, my, my actual porn viewing before I started making porn was incredibly limited to non-existent. As a teenager, I had no access to porn because I wasn't allowed TV or VCR or movies or any friends that had television. That was all banned. So that's how I first discovered sexuality in my journey. How did you discover it when you were a kid? Um, I guess I've always been a fairly sexual person as well. I've always had a pretty high sex drive and curiosity about the issue. One of the earliest memories I have around it was from second grade. I remember some boy in my class saying the word blowjob. And of course, the teacher heard him, and and it was in no way as in any sort of sexual context. He had put on a whole ton of jackets. Everybody had given him his their jackets, and he put it on. And he had like eight layers of jackets on, and he said, "Look at me! I've got such a heavy duty blowjob." I guess maybe he was protected from the wind, but the teacher heard him say blowjob, and of course, her reaction made me realize oh, that there, was, there something was something there deeper going on because she's. Do not say that word. Of course, I was going to a parochial school mm-hmm. at the time. It wasn't being taught by nuns, but everybody there was Catholic. Uh-huh. My family wasn't. They just sent me there because I guess they wanted to send me to a religious school for some reason. So, of course, this word blowjob stuck out in my head. So, when I got home, I asked my mom what a blowjob was. And she was always fairly progressive and open-minded. And she uh-huh. just said matter-of-factly to me, well... That's when a woman takes a man's penis in her mouth. Not that progressive. It could be a man that took another man's penis well, in his mouth. Well, in, in, her, in her mind, <laughs> that, that basically that's when a man puts his penis in a woman's mouth. Okay. Because I don't know if she had had any other experience in that, but her answer was that. So, of course, to my young brain, and I was, what, seven, I guess, at the time, Mm -hmm. I I just had this picture in my mind of a guy just nonchalantly just putting his penis in a woman's mouth and her closing his mouth on the penis and both of them just kind of standing there awkwardly (laughs) like, all right, now it's in. 
Beautiful. Now what? Because I, in my mind, I had no concept of sexual pleasure or anything like that. And I was, so of course, I was confused. Like, why? That seems silly. Why would anybody do that? Just stand there with a penis in your mouth? That just, or I guess, squat there with a penis in your mouth? It just seemed fairly absurd right. to me. Of course, uh, as I got older, women, girls, got more and more interesting to me. And mm-hmm. there were the friends that had older brothers that had magazines and we would sneak the magazines and look at them and be really interested and kind of feel funny about what we were seeing in the Mm -hmm. magazines. And I remember one time in third grade, some friends of mine had told me they found a stash of old magazines out in the woods somewhere. I don't know if some homeless man had had his stash out there Mm -hmm. and they decided that it was wrong and that, that we should go destroy these dirty magazines. And we went out to the woods. And I felt terrible with this. They started tearing them up. And I was like, no, no don't, don't don't tear these up. These I are gold. These. They're valuable. Yes, what are you doing? I'm, I'm you know, a third, third grade boy. And I want to look at this stuff. Don't destroy it. Uh, so I was traumatized by that. And, you know, Did they destroy every magazine? They they tore them up. I you know I tried to save some, mm-hmm. but they were adamant. They were like, "Oh, this is evil. We shouldn't be looking at this stuff." Wow. And, ah, it's terrible, terrible. Aww. And we had uh, once in a while, uh, we'd go to somebody's house who and his grandpa had some bad old seventies porns on VHS. Right. And we would, tr- you know, try and sneak watching a couple minutes of them, and, and we had no idea what was going on. And back then, we had the Playboy Channel on TV, but of course, it was scrambled. So, my other introduction to sex was watching scrambled porn on cable, which I'm sure many people of my generation. I think have that's that a nipple. Yeah, exactly. Is that is that a n- Elbow or a knee? I don't know, but I'm feeling kind of funny. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Uh-huh. And so I would sneak and watch scrambled porn anytime I could because, of course, we only had one TV in the house and it was in the living room right outside my parents' house. So I would, in the middle of the night, go and turn on the scrambled porn and try and, like, every once in a while, there's like a flicker of clarity and you can uh-huh. see something. You see like a fully nude woman. Or something. and But of course, I'd have to have the sound off, be extremely quiet and terrified the whole time that my parents might wake up and come out and see me doing this. So you'd wait till everyone in the house is asleep and then you'd sneak into the living room, which is right next to the parents' door, have the sound off, crouch down and try and see some sort of nudity through Scrambled. Oh, yeah. And I, wow. I, didn't, I didn't know anything about masturbation or sex or anything. I just knew. I just There was just a root part of myself that knew I wanted to see this and that this was exciting. Right. And then this magic day happened where a neighbor of mine showed me how to trick the cable box. Because back then, they had these analog cable boxes and he showed me this trick where you could press four buttons and it would turn the box off and then you punch in the channel number that you want to see and when it comes back on, the channel is clear. And it was this moment where... Suddenly, I had all the softcore erotica I could ever want. And so, of course, this is not the hardcore, you know, Shiza stuff that kids can see online these days. This was, you know, mid-80s Playboy Channel softcore porn, but I loved it. A lot of soft focus and lingering glances. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't get enough of it. Anytime I had the house to myself, I would go and turn it on and listen for any movement coming anybody coming into the house late nights i would go and watch it with the sound off and you know tense and everything Mm -hmm. like that but i loved it but the thing is i didn't know about masturbation i would just i would sit there with my little erection and just watch it and feel very tense and, Mm -hmm. and anxious and be like i have no idea about any of this and actually uh during the 89 earthquake i was there watching stolen playboy cable porn when the earthquake started happening because I was at my house by myself sitting there 
and the earthquake started happening and I freaked out and panicked and right, right. ran out into the street and had no idea. So that's my memory. I know everybody that lived in the Bay Area at that time remembers where they were. I remember <laughs> when yeah. the earthquake happened. And that's where I was. I was watching stolen Playboy Channel porn wow. <laughs> during the earthquake. Not the World Series. No, I wasn't one of those boys. <laughs> so so those, I guess, are you know how I kind of became aware of sexuality. The other thing which was interesting is that my mom was fairly progressive. And at the age of 12, I asked her if I could have a subscription to Playboy. And she mm. agreed to it because you, you get those publishers clearinghouse right, mailers right. and stuff. And I saw that one of the magazines they were offering was Playboy. And I asked her and she said, sure, why not? I guess boy of your age could get it. And it was great because here I had all this masturbation fodder. There's delivered. amazing articles in Playboy. Oh, no, no, and oh. I did. I read some of your I articles. I really liked the writing in Playboy. I also learned a lot about human sexuality from the jokes as yeah. well. And yeah. some of the jokes weren't so great. But I did. I read articles. I actually, some of my favorite writers I found because they had stories. Vonnegut. John mm. Updike, they all had stories in mm. Playboy. And I read these short stories and I read some of the interviews with people. So I was kind of informed as to what was going on in the world as well. But I thought that was great of my mom that at this age, this young developmental age, I had this magazine coming to my house every month. And mm -hmm. it kind of gave me this peek into the adult world. And it not only educated me about the world, but kind of sexuality and i think it was good that it wasn't hardcore crazy right. stuff that you would see out there it was the more tame right things i would say that was pretty much my introduction to sexuality i know we had sex ed in school but i honestly don't remember anything that was talked about i think the only thing that stands out in my mind was watching the teacher put a condom on, on a banana. banana that's i think what most people remember yeah and i'm like okay you know, before you eat your banana, always remember to wear protection. <laughs> so that's, that's you know, basically, and I think the, the from what you've told me is the, the only sex advice your dad gave you was don't get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. My father was a, a fairly hands-off parent. He just kind of believed that children would end up raising themselves in the way that best worked for him. And I was a young rascallion running around, you know, 16, 17. I didn't have a car, but I had access to a bike and a lot of enthusiasm and energy. And at one point I was like biking off somewhere and he just like looked at me and he said the only thing he could ever say, which was, don't get pregnant. And I was like, don't worry, I won't. And I never did. Yeah. Never did. Kudos to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I remember from the sex ed class from school is the condom on Havana and basically their take on don't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Not not much about STD. They mentioned STD some, but yeah, uh, the only real young sexual experiences that stand out in my mind were just the pornography that I would stumble upon mm -hmm. as a young child growing up. And it seemed fairly easy to find it back then. Not as easy as it is now. No, it's way easier now. I think it's, it's always been easy. If you look about it, I mean, we have basically porn that the Egyptians were making 200 years ago, as long as we could, 2,000 years ago, as long as we could draw something, we were doing porn within... Well, yeah, the very first it was like drawings. Drawings, it immediately goes to porn. If the second a camera was invented, they were doing porn. Oh, yeah. yeah. Spreading it around. Mm -hmm. I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine being a kinky person back in the 30s and 40s and trying to find... It was hard. Letter writing to get your. They did, they did a little letter writing. They would order stuff through the mail. Like it's not. It was way harder to get the information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, our society is progressing more and more and becoming more comfortable with our sexuality, and the next generation will be able to have their questions answered. And so, with more ease than what we have now. Yeah, that's why we wanted to talk about this. Uh, if you're a parent out there, talk to your kids about it when it comes mm -hmm. up. Don't get awkward about mm -hmm. it know that they're going to find this stuff online. They're going to find it anyway. They should be finding it in a as as healthful and educated and a least amount of stigma as you can possibly offer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Don't shame them for it. Don't punish them for mm -hmm. it because it's natural. We all have this curiosity about mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. if we didn't, we wouldn't be here as a population if we had no curiosity in sex. The human race would die off 
So I think the amount of people we have on this planet is living testimony to just how much we all like fucking. You're here. (laughs) Well, that is a wrap for this episode. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I hope that we can foster some dialogue about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And it would be interesting to hear other people's first experiences uh, coming across this stuff. Uh, if they're still doing it, check out Radio Lab. You can submit your story to them. By the mm-hmm. time you're listening to this, that might be closed. But if not, go listen to Radio Lab. Go listen to Radio Lab, and it's. Uh, I think the core of everything that I believe in is communication. The more you talk about things, the more comfortable you are talking about things. Honestly, the easier life is. Yeah, I'm all about avoiding chafing, and communication is the lube that helps prevent chafing. Yep. So that's all for our communication. For now, we will communicate with you next time. Roger. Over and out.